Welcome to Yours, Mine, and Ours. My name is Gabrielle Cardona, and I'm a relationship coach and an MBTI practitioner. I started my coaching practice 15 years ago when I saw on a talk show that a coach was helping someone in a different way from counselors and psychologists and therapists. I never agreed with the American mental health industry. It was not accurate most of the time, and in my opinion, relied way too heavily on pharmaceuticals. But you know, the same destructive behavior doesn't always have the same inherent cause, and therefore doesn't need the same solution. It was way too general. And I know that it's easier to pop a pill than to do the work, but that's never going to make your life truly better. And I know a lot of the listeners out there agree with me. So as a coach, I've worked with individuals and couples. Starting out as a life coach, I had clients who were district attorneys and actuaries at national insurance companies. They were football coaches and college professors. The fact that no matter what my clients' original goals were when they came to me, it always came back around to improving their relationships, their health, their career, their finances, their spirituality, their personal happiness. They always came back to conflict in their life. And conflict, nine times out of ten, is about the actual relationship, the people, the feelings, and the thoughts, not just the words. So I decided to make it my specialty, relationships and especially conflict resolution. That's a great life skill that everyone can stand to master. I help people improve their communication skills because it's only then that they're able to truly accept and appreciate others without unnecessary conflict. I address important life questions with my listeners, questions like what are truly healthy relationships made of? And what makes a relationship successful? And what does a successful relationship even look like? They're becoming a very rare thing in the world that we live in. Relationships are a dynamic between two people that consist of a three-part connection between them. There's the physical part and a mental part and an emotional part. But there are three different elements to a relationship which involves activity in each of those three different parts. Those three elements to a relationship include the two individual people separately because they each have their own physical and mental and emotional composition. But the third element is what they create when they come together. It's that entity separate and distinct from each of them as individual people when they're apart. They both actually change when they come together because they have combined to create a uniquely dynamic entity together. The goal of my show is to help people learn how to become better people separate from any other person in the world in addition to understanding what goes into bringing out the best in others when they join together in a relationship. That's in their relationships with lovers, as well as friends and family, even coworkers and strangers. So it's time to understand what's yours, what's mine, and what's ours. Welcome to the show. Today I'm inviting my listeners to ask me a question on the BBS Radio website. 
There's something called a dialogue box on the website. It's actually called a shout box, but I can't hear you, so it doesn't matter how loud you shout. <laughs> if you go to bbsradio.com slash yours, mine, and ours, you'll see at the top of the screen the shout box, and it will ask your name and let you type a message, maybe in the form of a question. It looks like I have a couple people who've already sent me something. And I'm going to go open up the call lines to um, my listeners halfway through the show for anyone who wants to speak directly to me instead of typing on the website. But I'm still going to keep my eye on the shout box until then. So I want to say thank you in advance to my listeners who are being patient with me as I get used to this and get comfortable using it. Now, if you want to ask me a question before the halfway point, go ahead and type it up in this shout box. Otherwise, I'll give you the number to call after I talk about a few different topics today. The theme of the show is Successful Conflict Resolution. Okay, now, just as a, a preface here, genuine compatibility before you even get together with someone is vital. That's important. Sometimes you may just be too different fundamentally with, from someone to work well together. That could be in a romantic relationship, in a business partnership, in a social friendship. Know yourself and the person that you're with well enough to be able to say confidently, yes, we are a good fit before you get involved in a personal way with them. Because then if you know for a fact that you are simply not going to be happy with that person, <laughs> but you'll still have the ability and the opportunity to interact with them, it's not your decision. Maybe you'll have to be with them, but you'll simply need to know the ins and outs of effectively being with them when the times and situations demand that you do so, you will be ready. Okay, so here's the fundamental principle that every successful person understands and has accepted relationships are not a right. Okay, let me say that again. Relationships are not a right. An inherent right is like air, okay? It's food, clothing, and shelter. You have a right to life. You have a right to have your freedom in this country, right? That's a legal right. You have the right to think and feel the way that you do. But relationships are a responsibility and a privilege. They're about work and sacrifice. In order to get positive results that come from human interaction, you have to do the work. You will never get true personal fulfillment in a relationship until you give genuine quality to someone first. You, as a quality soul, have to invest in that person, in that relationship. Anything you hope to get out of a relationship, you have to earn it by doing the work. If you're not willing to do high quality work, you are not ready for a relationship of any kind, be it formal, casual, personal, or romantic. I even had to ask a client last week, do you think this person is relationship material? Do you think you're ready to set down boundaries for a person you don't even know yet. You haven't even met her. You're looking for her. Are you ready to set down boundaries for whoever you do finally meet in whatever setting you do finally meet? You know what? Something that inevitably is going to come with relationships, conflict. 
It's not a matter of if. It's only about when. Even if you have found the perfect match, conflict is an inevitability. Okay. Now, what I like to say, the key resolving conflict is all about discerning the actual problem. Solving the problem is not actually as hard as it may seem because there are some pretty consistent and predictable things about human behavior. But just knowing what the real problem, the real conflict is about, is the tough part for most people. Okay. Now, how often is it hard for you just to even know what the problem is? What I'm going to do is ask a good question here. Actually, you know what? Let's make it several different questions. Are you a mean person? Do you create conflict on purpose? Okay. Now, what, what is mean? Cruel person. What, what does that even mean? We all know inherently what that means. We know from a very young age, when someone is being mean to us, it hurts our feelings. Think about the kind of person that you are, just in general, in your daily life. Are you mean to people? And do you know that you are creating conflict and you still do it anyway? Well, how about some more specific questions? These questions are going to help you take a look at the value of your character and the quality of your soul when it comes to your human interaction. These are eight questions. How much of the conflict in your life, in all settings and all relationships, are a result of you, the things that you do and say? Okay, so like um, in your home, the people that you argue with the most, how often are you the reason why they're arguing? Or how about at work? Online, when you go to websites? Or at the grocery store? If someone's in front of you in line and, and they say or do something to get in your way, do you create conflict? Okay, well, how about the second question? How often do the things that you do and say, just in general, make other people feel bad? creating negative feelings inside of them, whether it results in conflict or not, how often do the things that you do and say make other people feel bad? The third question, how often is that making people feel bad deliberate? But how often is it just carelessness? When you've made someone feel bad, is it because you weren't paying attention or is it because you do actually get enjoyment? from that well how about number four when you do know that you've made someone feel bad how do you feel think about the time that you know what you made someone feel bad recently when you found out that they had those negative feelings inside of them how did you feel about their bad feelings how about the fifth question when you have the opportunity to create peace in your life. How willing are you to do that? The sixth question, how often do you allow people in your life to do and say and be things that make you feel bad and then not call them on it? Okay, wait a minute. First of all, how often do you allow people to do and say and be things that make you feel bad at all? 
How frequently is that a theme in your life? And then when they do make you feel bad, you just don't say anything at all. Okay, well, how about question seven? How often do you call them out on it, but do it in a way that actually makes the situation worse (laughs) when you're bringing it to their attention and saying, you know, I don't really like what you did. Do you do it in a way that's pursuing peace or that's exacerbating the situation? And the final one, how often do you get upset over things people say and do when they weren't actually doing anything hurtful? It's just because you are easily upset. Think about each of those questions as you go throughout the day. Observe yourself and observe the people who interact with you. How many negative people do you attract into your life who create conflict? How often do you stimulate and create conflict between others? Maybe that doesn't even involve you. And when you experience conflict, how do you respond to it or not respond? Okay, now you need to be very honest with yourself when you're answering these questions because lying to yourself is very destructive. I remember when I was a very young girl, my father was asking me something. He was calling me out on something that I did. I was so close to getting away with it and I knew, I knew I just had to keep it going, right? Well, he didn't punish me and he didn't yell at me and he didn't get upset. He actually became very somber. He became very serious. And he said to me, sweetheart, you're going to have to be really careful when you grow up, when you lie to people, you're going to ruin your life. And I, I said, well, I'm not lying. I'm not. And he still, he still stayed, stayed very quiet. He said, you know what? You can lie to strangers. And you'll be blowing amazing opportunities for yourself to have great things in your life. And then, you know, you can lie to the people that you love, your friends and your family. And you know what that's going to mean? It means you're going to die alone. But the most important part, the, the scariest part, is once you start lying to yourself. When you lie to yourself and you start to believe your own lies, then it's all over for you. You have no one left. You don't even have yourself left because you're going to start believing your own lies. You know what? Then you may as well just pack it up because then it's all over for you. You've got no one left. Your life is over. You know what? Okay. (laughs) That made me kind of just sit and think and he walked away. What that means is truly knowing yourself is the key. Being honest with yourself first is vital to being honest with others. Can you handle the truth? It's kind of a cheesy line in a movie, but it's true. You can't handle the truth. Well, that's pretty scary if it's true about you. We're going to come back and talk about a few different subjects about communication and about conflict. And I'm going to go back over to the website and see if anyone else has typed up some questions. We'll be back right after these messages. This is Gabrielle Cardona. And this is yours, mine, and ours. BBS Radio. Welcome back to yours, mine, and ours. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona. 
And I went over to the shout box and I have two really great questions. They're kind of general questions, but one of them actually addresses something that I was going to bring out. And so maybe this is a good time to sort of address it. Now, this question is from Ricardo and he says, I speak Spanish and want to know how much of my wife's and my arguments are about language barriers. Excellent question, Ricardo. I appreciate that very much because my husband also speaks Spanish and I learned how to speak Spanish. And I got to say, lost in translation, it's not just a good movie. Okay, so the, the challenge in communication is effectively conveying thoughts and feelings from one heart or mind to another heart or mind. Okay, so now when we're talking about conceptually thoughts, we don't think in words. So putting our thoughts and feelings into words in and of itself is tough. Now, studies have shown that humans just in general think at a rate of about 500 words per minute. If you were to take every single thought and put it into language, right? Whatever language you're speaking, that could be English, Spanish, Japanese, or, or French, it's going to be tough. But then speech, when you're actually saying those words, we can only understandably speak about 200 to 250 words per minute. Now, a language like English, when I'm speaking like this, I have to speak a little bit more slowly. Pero mientras estoy hablando español, obviamente voy a poder hablar de ciertas palabras, pero más rápidamente, especialmente si es una... Okay, yeah. Um, you speak a whole lot faster and you say a whole lot more words, but that's because what you could say in two, maybe three words in English, you actually do need to say in six words in Spanish to convey the same thought. But we only listen at about 150 to 200 words per minute. Wait a minute. Okay, 500 words thought per minute. That's 30,000 words an hour. That's a really, that's a lot of words. Okay. But for speech, that's 200. That's half of what you're thinking. So only half of what you're thinking is actually being said. Okay. Well, but listening, if it's only 150 to 200, well, that's almost as much, but how, how much, if we're talking about 50 words less per minute, if you're talking with someone for an hour, that's 60 minutes, that's a lot of words that, well, I, I didn't quite catch all of them as they were saying it, but you know, I got the most important ones. Hmm. Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not to the person who was speaking. Well, what about when we're reading? Unfortunately, society has been reduced to a lot of technology. When you are reading something on a computer or on your telephone or on a sign or on the television, even when you're reading things like on the news. They've got the person speaking, then they've got the words on the screen, and then they've got the words on the bottom that are actually going on the bottom of the page. And then if you don't, what's on is that? And then you want to hear what they're saying, and then you want to read, and then the, the words show up on the, the side again. Okay. If you're only reading 100 to 150 words per minute, you're not getting all of what you heard, right? But then if you're typing you only do about 60 words per minute. That's if you're good, right? And if you have a keyboard, okay? So if you're reading 100 to 150 words per minute, but you're only typing 60 words per minute, but if you're thinking 500 words per minute and you're only typing about 60, that's 90% of what's going on in your mind that's never actually expressed. 
And when you're texting, you know what? If you're really good, like my my kids, right? Teenage kids, young adult kids, they, they can go up to 30, maybe even 40 words per minute because technology lets you just go ahead and push the, the word at the top. It, it's already for you. You don't have to spell the whole thing out. But you know what? I do 15 to 20 words per minute because my touch screen won't let me actually get all of the letters or it does the wrong letter and then it creates a wrong word. And so I have to be real careful that the word that I push didn't exactly make me offend (laughs) the person. You got to read and reread before you push the little send button. Okay. 500 words per minute in thought, 200 words when you're talking, 150 when you're listening, 100 when you're reading, 60 when you're typing, 20 when you're texting. You know what? Thoughts are conceptual. And sometimes there's just not always a word for a feeling. That makes it difficult. And I think, Ricardo, what you're talking about when you're communicating with your wife, it's not always going to be a language barrier. There are some things in translation that do genuinely get lost. Certain words in Spanish literally don't exist in English. Or sometimes when you're saying a word in English, well, that's kind of a good word in Spanish, but you know what? Depending on where you come from, it could mean something very different for that particular society or that particular culture. That's why it's always important to remember that effective communication consists of elements, but it also consists of activities while you are communicating with someone. You know what? Just just go ahead and um, go to something that you've written, maybe an email or maybe a text message. Remove every third word of that pseudo conversation. How has it changed when you periodically just omit certain words? A lot can change. So what's involved in dialogue. I like acronyms. I always talk about conflict being the tip of the iceberg. T-I-P. Well, the topic, the issue, and the problem. It's very important when you're talking with someone that you care about, especially the woman that you love, that you understand the difference between the topic and the issue which is very different sometimes from the problem. But the most important thing, especially in intense relationships like a marriage, the the important thing to focus on first is the feelings. Reaction emotions are very intense. They're very important and they serve a very good purpose. They are what motivate you to take action They are what motivate you to talk. They are what motivate you to make decisions in your life, right? Before you even talk, before you even take action, they are the very powerful forces of energy inside of you. What's important to remember when you're talking to your wife or when she's trying to talk to you is process the feelings and get them out of the way because they compromise the effective resolution of the actual problem. They can actually present the problem from being addressed in the beginning because the topic is a subject that created the initial negative feelings, but the issue, the I, is the reason why that subject became a conflict 
And then the problem is why that issue upset you, the source of the negative feeling. So T is the topic, I is the issue, and P is the problem. What was the topic that got the conversation started? What's the issue that that topic triggered? Okay. And what's the real problem, which is the reason why it even created negative feelings in the first place? What I like to do is use the example of how three different people can say the exact same sentence and mean something completely different, three completely different messages behind the exact same words. And that is your four-year-old child coming up to you and saying, mommy or daddy, can I play with the matches? I often ask people this, just not even my clients, just in casual conversation. What would you say if you were in the kitchen cooking or cleaning, doing dishes, and your child, your four-year-old came up to you and said, could I play with the matches? Well, the answer is always, of course, I'd say no. What kind of a question is that? You can't play with the matches. I say wrong because can I play with the matches can mean very different things. My oldest son is an ESFJ. And if he were to ever come to me and say, can I play with the matches? That would mean, really, okay, behind the question, if you don't get your act together as a mother, I'm giving you a heads up. I'm warning you right now. I'm going to light this house on fire because I'm very angry with you. And you can't say I didn't warn you. I'm testing you right now. If you don't get your act together as a mother, I'm going to light this house on fire. Yes, as a four-year-old, I know how to light the house on fire, and I absolutely will. If my ESFJ ever said to me, in a casual way, mom, can I play with the matches? Okay, I would immediately stop what I'm doing and I would turn around and I'd say, okay, what's going on? And he'd look at me and he'd say, what's going on? What's going on with you? And I'd say, okay, so we really do need to talk. I understand you're upset and I'm ready to hear whatever you have to say. And then genuinely listen and look for the reason why he would even ask me such a ridiculous question. He obviously wanted to get a reaction out of me. Okay, well, what about my ENFJ daughter? Well, if she ever came to me and said, can I play with the matches? Well, you know what? I would know that that translates in ENFJ, little girl language, to Please say no. I really don't want to play with the matches. I, I'm, I'm asking you to please say no to me right now because there's someone else or something else that, that's forcing me to, to do something really bad and I really don't want to do anything bad. So if I'm asking you if I can play with the matches, then I know you'll say no. And so then when I have to say no to my friend, I can really blame it on you because I really don't want to say no to my friend because I want my friend to like me and I hate it when people don't like me. Okay, if my ENFJ daughter ever said, Mommy, can I play with the matches? I would turn around and say, okay, honey, who's actually asking me to, to asking you to do this? You can go ahead and bring your friend over here now and uh, ask me in front of your friend and I'll say no so she can actually see me saying no. So you can go ahead and, and blame me for this, okay? Because I understand you're having a very hard time. But we really do need to think about the people that you're making friends with. And maybe we need to actually talk about how you can find better people in your life to be friends with. And you know what? Maybe we just need to practice you saying no for yourself in life. Can I play with the matches from an ENFJ means 
I've got some, some social issues that I'm personally struggling with. Then I have an ISTP son, and if he came up to me one day and said, can I play with the matches? That would translate to, I really love the way fire looks, and I love how it feels, and I love how it smells, because the matches, the really, the really cool ones that dad uses to start the barbecue, they're different than the small ones that my aunt uses to light up her cigarette. So I really want to play with the matches because I want to have some fun looking at what's beautiful and what sounds fascinating and what smells really good. If my ISTP son ever asked me, can I play with the matches? I'd say, well, is your bedroom clean? I'd say it in a very casual way. I wouldn't even turn around. I would just keep doing whatever I was doing. And of course, he'd say, yeah, yeah, it is. And I'd say, uh-huh, let me, let me see. And I'd look over from a distance into the bedroom, very casually still, okay? Wow, wow, actually, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. You did a good job. And uh, I'd say, under the bed, lift up the, lift up the bedspread, let me see under the bed. Whoa, you even did under the bed. That's awesome, baby. Yeah, okay. You can go ahead and use the matches on top of the refrigerator. Here, go ahead and get the, the chair. You can stand up on the chair and climb up to get the matches. Yes, at four years old, I did let him do that. And as I'm continuing to wash the dishes, I'd even say, hey, you know what? As soon as I'm done, or cooking, um, as soon as I'm done here, I'll, I'll go out there in the backyard with you and I'll find something really good to, to burn and we'll, we'll smell it and we'll watch it together. And yes, when he was a little boy, I did let him play with the matches. That's how he knew <laughs> that when my mother-in-law was being horribly mean to me, how to just, you know, light one and blow it out and stick it on her calf for me <laughs> as a way of showing his love for me. Okay, so maybe that wasn't the best thing to do. <laughs> but the bottom line is, the point is, the exact same sentence said by three different people can be conveying complete thoughts and feelings and ideas, and you need to know how to interpret what the topic is. The topic is about matches. The issue is something very, very, very different from the actual sentence. And the problem is what you need to address in order to deal with what's really going on. Okay, we're going to take another really quick break, just a minute this time, because what we're going to come back to talk about now is conflict resolution. And let me go ahead and see, okay, here's one my from Kate. My older brother still treats me like I'm a baby and I'm 20. <laughs> I love that question. Okay, Kate, I really think you're going to enjoy the next part of our show, which is conflict resolution. <laughs> My name is Gabrielle Cardona, and this is yours, mine, and ours. BBS Radio. Welcome back to yours, mine, and ours. Okay, so now we're going to open up the lines for our listeners who want to call in and actually ask a question in the form of a dialogue and, and a conversation. The number to the show is 888-627-6008. Okay, now, before we went to break, we were talking about actually resolving conflict, and one of our listeners asked the question, okay, um, my older brother still treats me like I'm a baby, and I'm 20. Okay, first of all, let's just say 
that's just an older brother thing. You'll probably be 65 and he'll still see you as his baby sister. And that's a good thing. Okay, Kate, that's actually a good thing. It means he loves you very much. But separate from feelings that create the need for communication is um, the the actual substance of the communication, the, the substance of the conflict. Okay, I mentioned it before. You need to process the emotions, okay, that need to be addressed and resolved before the actual topic is ever even discussed. People can feel anger and pain and fear and anxiety. Those are the, the most common human emotions. So before you ever get to the theme of a genuine conflict, you need to deal with the feelings that you're having around the conflict itself because they are completely and totally separate from the topic that you're going to need to address. Okay, so when I talk about conflict resolution, it's four C's. Cooperation, communication, confirmation, and concession. Okay, so conflict resolution, actually solving problems, first of all, starts with a very a simple idea, but it's actually a very profound and sometimes challenging um, activity. And that's cooperation. What that means is a willingness to surrender on one topic, one subject, one problem for the bigger picture of the relationship. Now, a lot of people, just because in the world, I think more in the United States than around the rest of the world, people just like to fight. They get some kind of stimulation, some kind of satisfaction from fighting with people and winning. Okay, but how about the idea of if you really do want to make your life better, learning how to have a mindset of cooperation. Cooperate means together function, functioning together, working together. Now, a relationship in itself is worth more than both of the people separately. When, let's just say quantitatively, um, five and five. Okay, individual is worth five, another individual is worth five. You know, when they come together, the relationship is worth 25. It's not five times five. It's not, or I'm sorry, it's not five plus five. It's five times five. So when they come together, it is exponentially worth more, right? Than the two individuals were separate from each other. Now, the institution's dynamics and how those dynamics work. When you're talking about a relationship, that doesn't even necessarily have to be a marriage. It could be partners in business. It could be a brother and sister. When they come together, working together and making a connection makes both of them more successful people in their life because it creates within them both an energy and a, a mentality that makes them more productive and more useful. But what that also means is that if it's negative energy, if it's destructive energy, it is exponentially more destructive than each of them were when they were apart. Okay, so then, since a relationship can be potentially so much more powerful in a good way or a bad way, that means that commitment and personal discipline from the people, each separate person, having that commitment and discipline to say, you know what? I do feel, I do believe, and I do think that the commitment and the personal discipline that I have as an individual 
is what really is valuable. That's what matters because that's the quality of my character. And commitment means I'm going to stick to this. And discipline means I'm going to do the work. Having discipline means that you're able to successfully do things. You're successful um, when you want to accomplish something because you are willing to do the work. And the commitment is about the moral principles. But then the third part is the principles of love. Now, separate from a feeling of love, because that's one of the things I also don't like about English is that, you know what, I love pizza and I love uh, my daughter and I love God and I love the pothead who lives below me. You know what? Those are all very different feelings. <laughs> I don't don't quite feel the same about um, my daughter as I do about God. And when I'm eating pizza, it's not the same feeling as when I'm smiling at my neighbor who won't stop smoking marijuana. Okay. Now, the principles of love are unselfishness. The kind of love that I'm talking about in relationships, any kind of relationship, it's about willingness to be humble and make sacrifices and do the morally right thing. It really is about unselfishness in the way that you not only think and feel, but in the way that you behave. Okay, now, time, it's something that both people must be willing to invest even before problems occur, when we're thinking about cooperation as the first C of the relationship, you have to be willing to invest actually spending personal time with someone to create a mutual respect and appreciation for the other person. Because if you have that, even before problems occur, you are more likely to be able to resolve conflict once it does, again, inevitably occur. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Because I like this philosophy of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. A lot of people tell me when they see me and my husband um, for an extended period of time or several different uh, ways or settings, and they say, wow, you guys never fight. Well, yeah, actually we do. You know, you guys are so lucky. No, we did the work because when we spend time together, we um, have just a, a lifestyle, I guess you could say a lifestyle where we are together three, four, sometimes five hours a day. That could be because I stay home from my work. And so he's literally around me while I'm doing other things. I do go to work with him when he delivers for Uber Eats. So yeah, five hours of delivering food in the same car together, being able to spend time casually and talk about things that you know what, we have a little bit of a disagreement and opinion difference about that particular sign or that particular price of an item of food, talking about it in a socially casual way. You just have to spend time together because that lays the groundwork for trust and respect. You can have a difference of opinion, many, many, many differences of opinion, but as you're spending time together, you're practicing laying the groundwork for trust and respect because you're practicing interacting with each other, just basic lifestyle activities, life activities. And when you practice showing trust and respect for each other, you start to earn that relationship. You have to do the work. And 
the return on the investment is exponential. Because again, when we're talking about an ounce of prevention being worth a pound of cure, you know what? Actually tally your time. Go ahead and and take a little inventory of your lifestyle. How much time do you spend fighting? You know what? Not even fighting, just arguing, disagreeing with people. How much less would you be doing it if you spent casual social time being pleasant with people getting to know them, doing regular old activities in daily life and taking time when you are with them or around them to talk about things that before you might have gone, you know, forget it, it doesn't even matter. And you turn around and walk away. What if you had stayed there and actually said, you know what, I I don't understand what you mean by that. Or, you know, when you said that, I actually, that confused me. What, What did you mean by that? And the person actually answered your question. And then that started a conversation. And five minutes of conversation, you actually walked away with a different perspective and a different feeling, a different emotional energy. Would that be worth it? Okay, that brings us to our second C. That's communication. Effectively speaking and listening. Okay, so speaking. Three things. Accurately respectfully and effectively. Sometimes just being accurate in what you're saying, what's going on inside of you relative to what you said, that right there can take a little bit more than five minutes sometimes. (laughs) How important is it to be accurate in conveying what you're thinking and what you're feeling? It's very important. It's absolutely vital because what you say is going to create an, an entire thought and a complete feeling inside of your listener. Okay, and then the second part, respectfully. How many times do people really consider other person's needs and feelings when they are speaking, when they're conveying their thoughts and feelings? How often are they thinking, how is this going to make the other person feel? What is the most considerate and respectful and thoughtful and caring way for me to convey my thoughts and feelings? Because it would be worth it to know that they are hearing me because they feel valued by me. And then effectively, you know what? Did the listener actually get an accurate understanding? You need to make sure you need to double, sometimes triple check. What did you hear me say? Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? What what kind of idea do you think I'm I'm trying to? You know what? I do that with my husband all the time. I actually say, okay, what are you what are you hearing me say here? I just got to make sure we're we're on the same page. Sometimes before you're even done, you just periodically have to check in and say, okay, are you with me still? <laughs> First of all, is your mind still where my mind is? And did the words that I use actually create the right concept for you? Okay, well, how about listening? The three elements are accurately, verify periodically as a habitual behavior. It looks like we have another, um, oh, we might even. Okay, so we are going to take a real quick break (laughs) and pick up right where we left off. My name is Gabrielle Cardona, and this is yours, mine, and ours. Radio.com. 
Okay, thank you for your patience. Welcome back to yours, mine, and ours. I just had a little uh, technical glitch there, but I got everything back up. And so what I have, what we were talking about, okay, and I thought I might have someone presenting a question, but no, apparently I can't wait to hear Kim Ryan. That was not for my radio show. <laughs> okay, so we were talking about communication and listening. It's very important when someone is communicating with you to verify periodically that you did hear what was said accurately. And so if you have that as a habitual behavior while you're communicating with someone, just accurately hearing what someone said. That's going to be good for your relationship, relationships in general. Then there's objectively listening. Detach your personal thoughts and feelings when someone else is talking and infuse the other person into that conversation, That those words, those thoughts or feelings. When you are hearing what someone is saying, hear it in the context of their personality, their needs their thoughts, and their feelings. And then, just like with, with speaking, ac um, accurately is just as important as effectively listening. That means you need to confirm that what you understand is accurate. And we call it staying on the same page. When you can stay on the same page with the person who's actually doing the talking, that is a huge part of successful communication. And that's about in knowing and involving the language of the other's personality, know their profile, know the details. Just getting an understanding about their nature is going to be the key. Then we have the confirmation, the third C. Genuinely understanding, you know what? The confirmation, not only of the message that they're saying, to you in that conversation, but of them as a person. When the person has a personal confirmation from you, whether that's as the speaker or the listener, that creates the connection that then goes to the willingness, to the fourth C, concession, mutually agreeing on a solution. Even if it's just, you know what, we're going to agree to disagree, Hopefully that won't happen very often because when you have all four or the other three elements of cooperation and communication with the confirmation, you might just want to say you and I as individuals are more important than this particular subject, this particular topic, this particular issue. And so when you are able to accept the truth and its genuine value, you are also able to accept humans, relationships, and their genuine value. Both people conceding to make a sacrifice for the other person is what will strengthen the relationship. And I've noticed very more and more popular lately a trend in the United States. People apologize but it's not really a legitimate apology. It's in a backhanded way. And this is a big part of why there's so much conflict and people are, are angry and in pain in their relationships. They say, I'm sorry, you have a problem. I'm sorry, you can't handle the truth. 
I'm sorry you're too stupid to know the difference, and I'm sorry you're so pathetic. When you apologize, you're actually addressing two different issues. First, you're acknowledging that what you've said or done is wrong and that you regret saying it or doing it. But you're also recognizing that the wrong thing that you've said or done has hurt someone else and their feelings are a totally separate subject from the topic. So what if you only regret one of those things? What if you regret what you've done because you know that it was the wrong thing to do or say, but you really don't care about the pain that it caused perhaps because you think that that individual deserves to suffer? Or what if you don't really think that what you've done or said is really wrong, but you genuinely do care about another person's pain? Is there any way to acknowledge and address one of those things without including the other? The topic as opposed to the feeling. Yeah, what, what if you're just about one of them? Well, you know what? I got married. I realized my husband would apologize for things that he didn't really regret. He just didn't want to have to deal with an upset wife. So I decided to give him what I call a marital get-out-of-jail-free card. It was a four-word phrase. I'm sorry once removed. The translation is, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry. It was my way of actually letting him say, I genuinely do care about your feelings because I love you, but we're just going to have to agree to disagree about the morality of my actions or my words. I truly don't think that what I said or did was wrong. You know what? That's helped us to remain honest with each other. It encourages forgiveness and tolerance on my part, and it encourages both of us to stop thinking so much of ourselves. I can say to him, I appreciate that you're being honest with me, that you're really not sorry. I don't want you to lie to me. We don't agree on this one thing, but you do care about how I feel. Okay, well, I appreciate that you love me enough to care about how I feel. What would happen if you allowed the people in your life to have a get-out-of-jail-free card? To at least say, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry because I do care about your feelings, but I genuinely don't think I'm wrong and I'm not going to insult your intelligence by lying to you, thinking you're actually going to believe a lie. You know what? Try that out with someone you love and trust and respect and see. Let's see what happens. Any experiences or stories that you've had, you can go ahead and share again with me on the website at www.bbsradio.com slash yours mine and ours and I just want to say as a relationship coach there's always going to be conflict that just comes with the territory you need to be genuinely interested in other people's needs and feelings and completely honest about your own you need to be patient forgiving and negotiable setting boundaries and establishing standards is the most important part of any relationship because prevention is the most important part of conflict management. Thank you so much for listening today. My name is Gabrielle Cardona. This is yours, mine, and ours.